Hey, everybody. How you doing? And welcome to episode number 91 of the John Riley Project. Today is Sunday, November 10th, 2019, and we are broadcasting as we always do from the city in the country, Poway, California. How you doing? And welcome to another just another free for all, another crazy podcast here. Love sharing, you know, our thoughts on life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Today, we got really three major things we're going to get into. We're going to talk about Michael Bloomberg and him potentially entering the Democratic field for the president uh, of the United States for the, for his potentially starting up a campaign. Talk about this whole like OK Boomer thing. It's been sort of a hip, uh, uh, kind of a, a hip uh, jab at, at older people. We're seeing that on social media. OK Boomer. Uh, so I want to kind of dive into that a little bit. And then, you know, here in Poway, pretty interesting you know, conversations going on about our thrift stores in our city and just kind of want to explore that with you a little bit as well. So got plenty to get into here on a Sunday afternoon. Thanks for joining us. You know, um, I'm just still really fired up from yesterday. Did you guys see the whole bring back the brown um, or brown is back? You know, the whole Padres uniform, the Padres rebranding. I'm going to tell you what, Ron Fowler and Peter Seidler you and Wayne Partello, the, you know, the chief marketing officer, you guys knocked it out of the park. I mean, those new uniforms are fantastic, especially the alternate road uniform that uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. was showcasing last night. What a great move by the Padres. I mean, now they have a distinctive look. They're going back to their roots. They're different than all of the other 30 teams in Major League Baseball. And now they're saying this is the uniform that they're going to have for a very long time, the uniform that we're going to win championships in. So I just loved it. I thought it was a great rollout, and there were just a huge number of fans I was considering going down to Petco, and I figured at the last minute I'll just live stream it. But they were offering free beer, free wine, free hot dogs um, and for everybody that showed up. And it looked like they had a couple, two, 3,000 people there. So what a great event for the San Diego Padres, um, you know, baseball in November. So what a great job. So really happy about that still. Loving the Aztecs. You know, the basketball team had a big win in BYU, but came up short in football against Nevada. So, you know, lots of sports things we can get into. But I really want to just focus on these three things, you know, Bloomberg, OK Boomer and the Poway thrift store. So let's take a look at Michael Bloomberg. Now, you know, for those of you that may not know who he is, he, he's the former three term governor of New York City. This man is worth over $50 billion with a B. He's the eighth most wealthy person in the United States. You know, he started up his whole, you know, Bloomberg media empire. And, um, you know, he, he's an extraordinarily wealthy guy. And now he's considering throwing his hat in the ring to be president. And the way we all kind of got the hint of this is that the state of Alabama had the earliest deadline to file in order to get on the ballot. And Bloomberg, while he hasn't yet made an announcement, he at least got in there and got his name on the list, um, you know, just in case he decides to run. But all indications are that he will run. Apparently, the Arkansas deadline's coming up in a few days, and they expect him to file there as well. So this is just fascinating. And, you know, we've been covering the Democratic field um, really since it began. I love having, you know, these pregame and postgame shows about the debates, which I love. But as much as there are hardcore fans of many of the candidates, I mean, the, the Bernie fans are just extraordinarily loyal, passionate followers of Bernie Sanders. Elizabeth Warren generating big crowds. People really starting to warm up to to Pete Buttigieg. Um, you know, Vice President Biden has a hardcore base, largely because he was, you know, first lieutenant with um, with President Obama. So each of these candidates already has a very large base. But still, you, you get a sense that do these candidates really have what it takes to beat Trump? And, you know, there's no Kennedy in the field. There, there's no Clinton in the field that really has the charisma and the people skills to go along with the policy arguments. And so you wonder, will the Dems 
do they have someone that can knock off Trump? And I think people are really struggling with that. And that's why you still see these rumors of other people potentially throwing their hat in the ring. Um, And Michael Bloomberg was one of those candidates. And it looks like he's going to do it. And I, I think I think this is in many ways, this is really interesting. And I mean, it adds more drama to the whole to the whole process, which I love. And I do from Bloomberg's perspective, he he really wants to knock Trump out. And, you know, I'm no fan of Trump. So on, on that level alone, you know, terrific. Um, but we're going to get into some of his policies and, and I, I, I'll break it down. I don't I don't really care for a lot of what he represents. Um but it is it is an intriguing discussion. Now, um, you know, the, the, the things that are just so utterly obvious right up at the front is, is that this guy's another billionaire. And so you, you hear a lot of the progressives on the left wing that are very anti-billionaire. And you're seeing wealth taxes and a lot of other things to, to want to tear billionaires down. And so now potentially a billionaire jumping in. And then you kind of wonder, is he trying to come in and kind of take that moderate lane because Joe Biden maybe isn't a strong candidate and to sort of protect that that um, – I guess I could say the corporate class amongst the Democratic field. The other interesting thing about him, just right off the top, is that he's 77 years old. And it's interesting, if you go back and look at history of all of the Democratic presidents that have been successfully elected when they started their first term, going back to FDR, they started their first term when they were in their 40s or in their 50s. And the only exception to that rule was Harry Truman, who was 60 years old. So, you know, we know Bill Clinton and Barack Obama were in their 40s. Um, You know, John Kennedy was in his 40s. Um, Jimmy Carter, I might have been in his late 40s or early 50s. So it's interesting that Bloomberg, who's 77, um, is jumping into this as well. And so it makes you wonder you know, is he jumping in really to serve his own ego? That's what a lot of people think this is about. Is he jumping in to create disruption? Is he jumping in because he thinks he can win? So it's just fascinating. And and we really don't know if he is officially jumping in, but it seems like that's the case. And we got another Democratic debate coming up, and he obviously hasn't met the criteria for that, but we'll see how it goes. But I, I do want to just break down a few things about Michael Bloomberg that I personally take great exception to. And in many ways, I think he's sort of the king of all of the nanny staters, you know, the ones where government acting like your mom and trying to control your personal life. I mean, some people have likened him to, have called him a billionaire busybody. And I think that's a pretty good way to frame some of the policies that he pursues. And, you know, for the most part, you know, he's a pretty straight ahead kind of Democratic candidate. You know, he's wants to fight climate change and wants to um, enact gun control laws and and he's you know wants to reform education you know kind of a lot of the similar arguments that you hear from Democrats but there were some things that he he is he did as mayor that were just crazy like the, one of the most classic ones is is he put forward a measure in New York City to ban large sodas. And I just thought, what what a, like a petty sort of ridiculous thing to do. And I'll just read some excerpts from this article. It says the law, which this is the law that he, he had basically enacted, um, the law which would have prohibited those businesses from selling sodas and other sugary beverages larger than 16 ounces and ended up violating the state principle of separation of power. Um, so essentially, you know, he 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 didn't really even bring it to the state legislature. He just, or the, excuse me, the to the city council. He just enacted it as mayor. And they ruled that he was acting outside the scope of his authority, really acting as a, as a miniature king, you know, basically enacting law all on his own. And they said, you can't do it because he was violating the separation of power. And they said the decision, um, you know, ended up dealing a blow to Bloomberg's attempt to advance the pioneering regulation as a way to combat obesity. Beverage makers and business groups, however, challenged it in court, arguing that the mayoral appointed health board had gone too far when it approved the law. A unanimous four judge panel at the appeals court agreed, finding that the board had stepped beyond its power to regulate public health and usurped the policymaking role of the legislature. 
In particular, the court focused on the law's loopholes, which exempted businesses not under the auspices of the city's health department and left certain drinks such as milk-based beverages unaffected. And finally, as a result, grocery and convenience stores such as 7-Eleven and its 64-ounce Big Gulp were protected from the ban's reach, even as restaurants, sandwich shops, and movie theaters were not. Meanwhile, milkshakes and high-calorie coffee drinks like Starbucks Frappuccinos would have remained unfettered. So, oh, there's a lot in this. Now, First of all, this is something that he wanted to enact, and he got shot down in the courts, which is good. Uh, it's the nanny stating, this sort of meddling in your own personal decisions about that's a bad thing. You can't drink that. Um, I This is just an assault on individual liberty. And then on top of it, you know, they want to enact it with you know, a greater regulatory state, which is something that I frequently object to. And notice how it's applied inconsistently, that some businesses um, are contained and restricted under the law. But meanwhile, other businesses are unfettered and unrestricted. And regulations often do that. They create these exceptions to the rule, sometimes on purpose, sometimes as an unintended consequence. And then you get distortions and unlevel playing fields and everything. And really, the decision to drink sugary drinks, it really shouldn't be Bloomberg's choice. Now, you might think this is sort of a petty thing. It was a law that never was enacted when he was the mayor of New York City. So why am I bothering to worry about this if he's going to be potentially the president of the United States? Well, it's because he's done a lot of these kinds of things. And then it makes you wonder, well, gee whiz, if he were in the White House, what could we expect from him? And, and here, here's another great one. And this is very topical, been in the news. And it's this whole e-cigarette vaping thing. Um, and, you know, when he was mayor, he was trying to ban the vaping. And, you know, it's, the whole vaping controversy is interesting because, you know, you're seeing the products that are being marketed to young people. That's causing outrage. We've seen some people that have had injuries, in some cases, death. That's causing outrage. Um, they fortunately, what good news is, is they found out what is likely the culprit. And it's not the nicotine, but it's this vitamin E acetate <laughs> ingredient that was largely causing the problems. Um, so interestingly, I wonder if they're going to, you know, I, I would imagine the manufacturers are going to remove that. Let's see if that ends up, you know, relaxing the situation quite a bit. But I've always been personally a big fan of this whole idea of e-cigarettes and vaping. And, and it really came to light. I'll just share this personal story is um, I, I don't smoke. I've never smoked. Uh, my parents have smoked their whole lives just about since they were teenagers. And this has always been a point of contention I've had with my parents because I think it's, you know, for all the reasons that we all know that cigarette smoking is detrimental to your health, et cetera. Well, one of my cousins, um, I remember she she's quite a bit older than me. She has since passed, but she's about 30 years older than me. Um, you know, she had started vaping at one point and she enjoyed it. And she thought this is a way that she could finally get off of the addiction of cigarettes, get off of the the addiction of a far more harmful product, cigarettes. And these e-cigarettes were a lot safer. And not only are they safer for her, but because they don't have the secondhand smoke from vaping is far less damaging for the people around her. And while I didn't necessarily think e-cigarettes and vaping were all that great, I thought this is a wonderful way for cigarette smokers to wean themselves off of the product. And so she was taking action and I thought, hey, well, right on, good for you. And I thought this is exciting because it was a technology that had come forward that really you know, you can we can talk about the downside of e-cigs and vaping, but for this particular case, as a woman who had been a chain smoker, you know, ever since I've known her, she smoked a ton, and now she was vaping and was was far less damaging to her and the people around her. So to me, that's a that's a addition by subtraction, right? It's it's a less damaging. Um, situation. And for a person that has an addiction, they can at least manage that addiction rather than going into, you know, binging and all kinds of things that, you know, we struggle with when we have addictions. So 
it's interesting when you look at some of the data here, and this is, again, I'm, it all gets back to Bloomberg, but it provides a fun little tangent here to talk about this vaping e-cig topic. Um, but according to a 2018 survey that was expressly limited to respondents over the age of 18, um, and it asked them, you know, about the flavors that they used. And, you know, you've seen these cases where, you know, these e-cigs are coming out with, you know, cherry flavor and um, cotton candy flavor and mint wither, uh, wintergreen flavor. And people are objecting. They think, oh, my God, they're, they're trying to sell this like candy to attract children. Um, I looked at it from the other perspective and I thought, well, they're trying to attract smokers to get off of smoking and so they can wean themselves off. And it turned out that amongst the former smokers, 75% of them had started vaping when they quit. So a lot of these people that had gotten off of smoking, three quarters of them transitioned to vaping as a way to kind of have a glide path down to a safer lifestyle. I think that's a good thing. Now, granted, I know that the stats show that we're seeing an increase in the use of vaping products by teens and that sort of thing. But smoking amongst teens has been in a steep, steep decline, largely due to education and and a variety of other factors. So I think we have to have sort of a sense of proportion here. Um, But in the end, I mean, vaping is far less dangerous than smoking. Um, and at least 95% less dangerous, according to an estimate from, um, from public health in England. So it, it was interesting where Bloomberg really wanted to ban the vaping products, ban the e-cigarettes. But this is, again, the distortion. When government tries to ban things, it's like a game of whack-a-mole. You know, you try to knock one thing down, but what does it do? It's just going to, if they ban those e-cigarettes, it's just going to encourage more people to smoke regular cigarettes, which is far worse. So again, this notion of this uh, billionaire busybody, this nanny state in chief, um, a big objection that I have to Bloomberg on this. And these are things that, you know, that government officials should not be sticking their nose in in the first place, in my opinion. And then, Another one, um, he, he said in regards to the notion of legalizing marijuana, he said it was the stupidest thing anybody has ever done. I mean, he wants to keep marijuana illegal. Now, at least here in California and a lot of other parts of the United States, people are finally becoming enlightened and realizing that it's foolish to keep it illegal because it's like whack-a-mole. You try to, you know suppress it in one category, it just pops up in the black market. And it, it leads to a lot of other problems in society, the incarceration state, which I talked about a lot in the last podcast. And, you know, we're learning that marijuana, not only does it have medicinal value, but it's way, way less harmful than alcohol and other legal products. But yet he wants to keep it illegal. So again, this sort of nanny state in chief, like, you know, essentially government by your mom. Um, I just have a big problem with it. Uh, and then the other crazy thing is I was preparing for this podcast and I noticed that he had given a interview on The View in December of 2018. And it was interesting. I mean, you know, you get on The View and, you know, Joy Behar is very left wing and so is Whoopi. And and you'll, 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 it's interesting to kind of hear their angle and their take as they engage with these politicians. But Behar came out praising Bloomberg for putting his money where his mouth was and putting $100 million into the campaign coffers of Democrats to help them win and create a blue wave. I I had to replay it and listen to it again because Democrats and progressives and people like Joy Behar are the ones that are usually wanting to get money out of politics, want to get the influencers, the billionaire influencers out of the way. And here, because it happened to be a billionaire uh, that she liked, a billionaire that happened to be supporting the things that she liked, she praised him for putting his money where his mouth was. And and then he said, you know, of the 24 candidates that he supported with that money, 18 of the 24 were women. And that got a big smile from Joy Behar's face and a huge applause from the audience, from The View. And I kept thinking, 
what are these people doing? They're praising a billionaire for spending huge amounts of money to influence elections. Yet that's something that they constantly hear from the people on the left that they don't like. So, you know, who, you know, when the people start condemning billionaires, are they condemning the billionaires on their team or the billionaires across the board or the, you know, so it's just hypocrisy. And, and I was surprised just when I saw that. Um, but anyways, uh, it turns out that he, if he does run, he's probably going to run as a Democrat. And he even admitted on that view interview that you can't run as an independent. And it's true. And I've talked about this all as well. The election process is rigged. I mean, go back and listen to my podcast. The elections are rigged. I go th- down in great detail how that's true. Um, and in Bloomberg's case, you would think if there was anyone that might run as an independent, it could be him. Because he used to be a Republican, and then he went independent, then he became a Democrat, and then he went independent. Because I think he's struggling with you know what team he wants to be on, what he wants his identity to be. But it looks like if he does jump in, he'll jump in as a Democrat. Um, I, I I just think this is very very interesting, and we're already seeing you know from some of my progressive friends, you know especially those that are big big Bernie supporters, they're already condemning Bloomberg just because he's a billionaire. Uh, on that basis alone, he's got a lot of money. Can't be good, and um, it's just you know whether or not a person has a lot of money, you know that shouldn't be the criteria to determine if they're a good candidate or not. The question should be: Is what are they proposing? What are their policies? What's this person's leadership ability? What is their character? What changes do they want to put forward to help our country? Um, but we're going to it's going to create a very interesting dynamic because imagine on a debate stage with Elizabeth Warren and Michael Bloomberg and Elizabeth Warren, as I said, wants to tear them down. She'll be coming after Bloomberg hard um, to take away his money. And then Tom Sire, another billionaire on the stage, will probably be saying, yeah, please take away my money. I don't want to I want to be taxed at a high level, um, which is silly. But I wonder what's going to happen here, because I'm certain that Bloomberg does not agree with that hardcore leftist progressive agenda that Bernie and Elizabeth Warren are putting forward. And I'm sure that's part of his motivation. He sees them as gaining a lot of steam and saying, hey, wait a minute, we don't want to have um, these these hardcore progressives dictating policy or even winning the White House. So just intriguing, you know. Um, the drama of all of this. And, you know, Biden is, excuse me, I think Bloomberg is probably doing what, you know, um, what Buttigieg and Klobuchar, I've, I've commented that those two are like vultures. Buttigieg and Klobuchar are like vultures. They're waiting for Biden to implode. And the minute he does, they're going to swoop in and try to claim that that sort of moderate lane um, in the Democratic field. But I think Bloomberg sees the vulnerability of Biden as well, and he wants to swoop in that lane as well, because I think everyone realizes that Joe Biden is not really capable of carrying the torch for the Democrats all the way to the finish line. They think that at some point he is going to self-destruct, just like one of the drummers on Spinal Tap. So uh, I I just think this is fascinating. So Michael Bloomberg potentially entering the race for the presidential Democratic nomination. Um, There's going to be another round of debates coming up soon. So let's pay attention. I'll have more on this as the story unfolds. Okay, now we're getting into this next topic. And... um, This is the OK Boomer topic. Now, maybe you've seen some of this, maybe you have, and it's been really buzzing on social media where young people, millennials, particularly that are frustrated by a lot of the things going on in society and the economy, et cetera, have begun, you know, making this remark um, to really take a shot at baby boomers. Um, And, you know, baby boomers are the people that were born right after World War II and I think right up to 1964. Now, for the record, I'm not a baby boomer. I'm just on the other side of that line. Um, But I I see these remarks, you know, essentially 
you know, a hand wave, like, okay, boomer, you know, just wanting to dismiss them out of hand because they think that the baby boomers are the ones that have done all the damage. To me, this is scary. I mean, this is collectivism run amok. It's, it's this notion of disparaging an entire category of people rather than looking at each individual and their own character and their own habits and experience of that individual. It's a sense of castigating an entire group on a stereotype based on the, uh, the actions of a few. Um, this is why racism is such a ugly and crude, essentially form of the same type of collectivism. It's, it's shaming and disparaging and demeaning a huge entire class of people based on um, you know, a false stereotype or a stereotype based on a tiny subset of that group. I, I, I just think this is dangerous. And, but we're seeing so much of this as you know, we check out our current news and, and all of these issues in society. It's this divide and conquer thing where – and the politicians kind of play this. They're almost like the marionettes uh, manipulating society where they're dividing you – know, in this case, dividing America by age. You know, and it's this notion of you know, you going after these individual age groups and setting one against the other. Um, going, you know, I've talked about by race, setting, dividing people by race and one against the other, dividing people by gender, not just male and female, but all the other genders that are around the table and creating that battle. Um, sexual orientation. I mean, and these are all immutable characteristics. These are things that are out of people's individual control. And yet people are set off amongst themselves, fighting amongst themselves. This is why we have so much problems in this idea of just getting along. That's why our society is so polarized. And then when I see, you know, young people, um, you know, as individuals um, essentially saying, okay, boomer, and dismissing an entire group of people, they're just continuing this this uh, polarization, and it's funny. There, there's a there's a person I follow on Facebook. He, he actually used to live here in Poway, and he has since moved to New Mexico. Um, really, um, you know, for retirement and, and and to reduce his cost of living. Um, he's a very good, he's a good guy, very interesting guy. He's a, the biggest hardcore Bernie supporter I've ever met. Um, but he posted a cartoon today on his Facebook uh, newsfeed that perfectly illustrates this issue. And it's, it's imagine like a castle and then on the castle, there's a balcony and there's a king and his young prince. And they're looking out over the people and the people are all down on the ground, like, you know, 30 or 40 feet below them. And the people are going crazy. They're carrying, you know, torches and pitchforks and the peasants are angry and, and they all want the king's head. Right. And the young prince said to the king, because uh, the king was clearly fretting and not sure what to do. Um, and he says, oh, you don't need to fight them, the prince told the king. You just need to convince the pitchfork people that the torch people want to take away their pitchforks. <laughs> so, again, that's where you see that when when those that are in power can manipulate the message manipulate the dynamic so the people fight amongst themselves, then that protects those that are in power and just creates more chaos and division for the people at large. And so when I see this, you know, okay, boomer, it's just another thing uh, playing into this where they're setting the people off against each other. Um, now, if you go a step deeper and you ask, you know, Younger people and, and you really the people that there's been a number of articles about this where they've asked people that have said, you know, OK, boomer, um, if they they ask them, well, what are you so mad about? What What's the problem? And they'll go through a laundry list of issues that they blame the baby boomers on. And they'll talk about climate change um, and they'll talk about, you know, how Social Security is is in trouble and. You know, you guys had pensions and now we don't get the pensions. They'll talk about education and how expensive it is. They talk about the gig economy, thinking they're getting screwed over while you guys had these great high paying jobs. Um, 
you know, as a tangent, never mind the fact that, in my opinion, the gig economy creates huge upside for young people. And I would hope that they would see that. But some people don't. Um, and then they're blaming, you know, the baby boomers for income inequality and ravaging the planet. And they're even blaming them, you know, for putting in these conservative, you know, Republican leaders into place. And in many cases, even, you know, blaming them for their whiteness, you know, and making it a race based issue, which, again, goes back to this divide and conquer um, kind of thing. We're splitting people up based on all these characteristics. Um. I mean, I get it. I understand that those issues are contentious and each of those issues are are worthy of a conversation, worthy of a debate. And we've gone through some of those issues here in this podcast. Um, But, you know, there's plenty of good and bad in the world around us. I mean, addressing each of those issues on its own is the right way to solve the problem. Um, Because if, if you just sort of, point a finger at, you know, an entire group of people based on their age, then what you're basically doing is blaming innocent people, blaming people that are actively trying to solve some of these problems, but just clustering them into a sing, into a big group and then just dismissing them out of hand. You end up, and this is the problem with judging groups rather than judging individuals. You end up blaming innocents innocent people for the bad actions of a few. Um, that's wrong. <laughs> I mean, that's like, again, I'll go back to racism. That's what makes racism so awful, so crude, so primitive, so terrible is that it dismisses an entire group of people based on the color of their skin rather than looking at each individual and what they bring to the table and what makes them special and what makes them unique. Um, so I think we have to push back on this sort of thing. When people are are dismissing groups out of hand based on age or race or or gender, sexual orientation, I mean what have you. I mean that you just can't tolerate that sort of thing. It has to we have to push back on that and say okay, rather than blaming people that really didn't cause the problem at all, let's take a look at the issue and figure out how we solve the problem. Um and if you really feel a need to blame someone, if you're really that heated about a particular issue and blame them, then don't blame baby boomer people. Blame the politicians. Blame the leaders that set up the system the way it's set up. I mean, because these baby boomers, they're just going through their life. They're just going through their life playing according to the rules that have been set up for them. You know, they, they, they've been driving cars because that's what they were told to do. I mean, that's the way society was built was around the automobile. And so you blame them for climate change. Well, you know, the system, you know, and meanwhile, the politicians are the ones that are doing the wars for oil and subsidizing all of the uh, oil companies. So it's the problem is the leadership. The problem is the government policy, not just the everyday you know, baby boomer, retired person. Um, So we have to push back on that sort of thing. Um, I mean, think about this, though. Imagine if, I mean, a a great example, we we just talked about the car and oil and climate change and everyone's talking about, you know, fossil fuels and big auto and all the oil companies. And that's what's destroying our planet and destroying the environment and increasing temperatures and melting solar and melting polar ice caps. And we can go down that whole story and, you know, all the science on that. And, you know, I believe it. I understand. I, well, I don't understand it, but I, I understand it broadly. And yeah, of course, planet's changing. <laughs> Climate's changing. Definitely. And humans are playing a role. Um, but think about this. Not that long ago, you know, there was a movement to really create an electric car, but it ended up getting suppressed. You know, people wanted the electric car. People wanted to not be held hostage by high gas prices. Many people wanted to drive cleaner vehicles, but that car was potentially knocked out by a lot of the large corporations, in this case, General Motors. And there's a whole 
story behind that, the death of the electric car. That was this one that came out. I think it was in the 80s or 90s. Um, those companies are successful in doing that sort of thing because they've been so empowered and because they're getting huge subsidies um, from taxpayers, because the system has been tilted in their favor. Um, we need to not blame, you know, the the average <laughs> baby boomer for these problems. We need to blame those people in power if we're going to point the finger at anyone. But really, the right thing to do is if there's a problem, let's fix the problem. Let's work towards a solution. Let's bring people together across all ages, across all genders, across all races. Let's bring people together to solve the problem rather than pointing a finger at people that are innocent that didn't cause the problem in the first place. So let's, I'm hoping this okay boomer thing is just a passing fad. Um, I am a little concerned about it. I, I even see some of the hardcore Bernie supporters blaming old people. And one, you know, the, the guy I talked about that moved to New Mexico who sent the cartoon about the king and his prince, he even suggested, I couldn't believe this, that people over the age of 55 shouldn't be allowed to vote at all. And I was like, oh, my God. I mean, um, you know, v- voter suppression from from people on the left. <laughs> it's crazy. Everything is getting so distorted, so wild right now. Um, but yeah, this, again, I hope this okay boomer thing is a passing trend. Um, okay. So now let's get into a local story and we're going to talk about the thrift stores here in Poway, California. And I, I've talked a little bit about them in some of our conversations about the redevelopment that's about to take place on Poway Road. And what the, here's, the story is this, is that Poway Road, which is this main commercial district in our city, has been built in a very haphazard fashion. And it was largely back in the day when it was just county land. And, you know, it was just sort of randomly built. And there was no plan. There was no city plan to it. And as a result, there were some cool things that happened and then some things that are just kind of weird. And and one of the cool things that happened is that there was a shopping center that has like there's about, I don't know, five or six or maybe even more thrift stores that are all in this one area. And it's sort of, you know, for people that, you know, enjoy going to thrift stores and I enjoy it. I've been down there a few times um, looking for treasures. You can find some really special things there. Um, it's a destination for some people. There's other people that really are supportive of the whole concept to provide um, clothing and other household goods for low-income people. Other people that are really supportive of the concept because they like donating their extra things to the thrift stores. So, I mean, we do that as well. I mean, we we donate a lot of our stuff to Goodwill, which because it just happens to be very close to our house. Um, there's one on Pomerado and Bernardo Heights Road right there on the corner. But that all eventually goes into a Goodwill store and it's sold. It's like another kind of thrift store, just maybe one of the bigger ones. Um, but there's, there's a certain kind of um, either love or sympathy towards these thrift stores. And they're in this shopping center that's kind of old and kind of run down. And it's in this area on Poway Road that is, like I said, sort of haphazard. It was developed um, kind of randomly, like next door to them is a bowling alley. And down the road, there's, I think, like some storage facilities. Um, so it, it's just kind of a hodgepodge. And in some cases, that's what made Poway special is a lot of these little local mom and pop businesses, a little bit of eclecticness, um, you know, not as much of the um, the big franchise stores like we don't have like a Buffalo Wild Wings here or or an Applebee's or you know a lot of these big national chains are well some of them are here but many that we find in other cities are not here in some ways that makes Poway special but on the other hand if you the downside is you go you drive down Poway Road and you're you know, some of it's kind of old and kind of run down and you think God is I wonder if there's something that we can do here well that's what the city of Poway has put forward, and, and they're trying to – well, not trying. They will be doing. They've, they've already um, passed all the necessary laws and regulations to change the zoning on Poway Road 
to allow for a lot more development of housing, um, which I have always been a big proponent of. I mean, the reason we have a housing crisis in the state of California is because there's just not enough supply and limited supply with huge demand drives prices up. So they're going to build well over a thousand units of housing. It's going to be mostly apartments and condominiums on this stretch of Poway Road. And they're going to also put in retail and restaurants. And it's going to be this sort of mixed use residential commercial. This zone in Poway Road is going to be walkable and it's going to transform the area and the culture and the energy in that area. Many people believe in a lot of positive ways, but there are people that are very worried about the downside, you know, traffic and congestion and more people and infrastructure. But one of the other stories is what's going to happen to these thrift stores because their their shopping center is right smack in the middle of this zone that's about to be redeveloped. And everyone's been wondering, when is this going to happen? Um, and, you know, the the land... Lord, the owner of that land has already be you know has already been issuing um, notices to these businesses that when their lease is up, they're not going to be able to renew. And these are businesses that have been there like 10, 20, 30 years. Like I said, this is part of some of the uniqueness of Poway. So there was an article on the you know on the very top of San Diego Union Tribune.com. I guess that means if it were on the print paper, maybe it would be on the front page. I'm not sure. But it was a really interesting article um, because it took this story to another level. And so I just want to share a couple of excerpts from this. And it said, um, barring divine intervention, St. Bartholomew's Thrift Shop in Poway's Carriage Center West Strip Mall will close its doors for good at the end of February. For 53 years, the volunteer staff resale business has raised money up to $80,000 a year for the ministry and charity programs of St. Bartholomew's Episcopal Church in Poway. But the church found out last month that its lease like those of many other thrift shops in Poway Shopping Center, will not be renewed when they, expire, when they expire earlier next year. The center's owner warned tenants in early 2018 that it plans to redevelop the property, but shops like St. Bart's have struggled to find an affordable place to relocate. So, yeah, we, they, they were at least given unofficial word you know, over a year ago, and this has been cooking for a while certainly for the last couple of years. And, you know, they may have got the official notice um, last month, but really they've known that they're going to have to vacate at some point. But yeah, they've been there for 53 years. Um, And they they went on to say, unless a miracle happens, we're closing down, said Summer Rawlings, a St. Bart's church member and a five-year volunteer who chairs the store's relocation committee. We've had a good run, but we'll keep looking. Maybe we'll rise again like a phoenix. So, you know, they're they're struggling. They're trying to find a way. Um, the the supporters of the thrift stop thrift stores are on one level outraged that they're going to be kicked out. On the other end, they're they're sympathetic and hoping they find a place. And then some are pointing the finger at the city council for passing these terrible re-regulation that's going to change the landscape. Well. You know, I'm I'm a I'm a big supporter of property rights, and you know, if the landowner wants to change the way they do business, if they want to change their building, change the type of tenants they want to attract, if they want to sell their land so another person can build there, I mean, that is within the landlord's prerogative; it's their right, um, and that's the beauty of business in this particular case in free market. You know, it takes a buyer and a seller; it takes mutual parties to come together and voluntarily cooperate and create a win-win outcome. And as long as they're both benefiting, as long as they both enjoy the deal, then it works. But the minute one of them is unhappy with the deal in a free market, they can hit the eject button. And that's what the landlord is doing because they have an opportunity to have a better financial outcome for themselves. Now, the downside is, is it puts the thrift stores in a tough spot. But, you know... On the you know thinking top of mind, there's a lot of abandoned buildings on Poway Road. There's a lot of places they could potentially go, but we'll, we're going to get to that in a little bit in the story. But the other interesting angle to this is that our mayor Steve Voss was quoted in this, and and he said, um, he says I'm there a lot. 
Mayor Voss said. We go there far too often, and I've been to those thrift shops too. They contribute to the unique tapestry that is Poway. It would be a shame to lose them. Now, he was originally commenting how he likes going to the Mexican restaurant there. It's called Renee's. It used to be called El Comal. It's an excellent Mexican restaurant that's also in that shopping center. Um, a lot of my friends love going there. We, we haven't been there in a while, my family, but we've always enjoyed it. Um, but it's interesting that Mayor Voss showing sympathy for the thrift stores, you know, it'd be a shame to lose them. But he was the, the driving force in helping transform Poway Road on this whole redevelopment process to put in all the housing, to bring in new business, to create this mixed use and to really transform Poway Road from something that looks like it's from the 1960s or 70s and bringing it into the 21st century which, by the way, I generally support. Um, But it's almost like he's saying this, not really taking on the fact that he was the one that's really putting this together. I would hope Mayor Voss would lead the charge to help these thrift stores kind of find a place to land. And that's the interesting part of the story that I want to get to. So, um, you know, Rawlings, who is the person that works for the St. Bart's thrift store, you know, she went on to say that this, the, they have a relocation committee and they've spent more than eight months in a fruitless search for a new location. The church now pays $8,000 a month for rent at its current space. And the best alternative they've been able to find in Poway is $12,000 a month for a building that is 20% smaller. So, yeah, that stinks. You know, they're having to pay more for a smaller place. And I'm scratching my head and I'm thinking, wait a minute, they're there's still, there's a lot of buildings that are for lease that have been unoccupied on Poway Road for a very long time that are outside the boundaries of where this whole redevelopment's going to occur. So why are they struggling so much to find a place? And then the article went on to say, the challenge, he said, is that thrift stores are classified in Poway as an antiques business. And there are only two small areas of the city zoned for that use. They have also looked in Rancho Bernardo, Escondido, and the Miramar Road area with no success. And I read that and I was like, whoa, that's a big piece of news for me. I was like, how in the heck does the city have a special zoning for antique stores? And, you know, I talked to Chris Cruz, you know, who's you know, kind of one of our um, civic activists here in Poway. And she runs that South and North Poway Votes Facebook page that I've talked about quite a bit. And she went and got the regulations and brought it up. And we were talking about it on Facebook. And it was interesting because for thrift stores and used products, there's a category classification for them. And they're prohibited in areas that are zoned for like office use, but they are acceptable in a lot of other zoned areas. And I looked at, you know, those categories of zoned areas and like one of them was like commercial. Um, I can't remember the titles of them, but they seemed like standard places that you would expect to find retail spots, um, you know, on any of our main city streets, except in maybe class A office space areas that wouldn't apply, but most everything else it would. But then I said, then how in the heck are they saying that there are only two places in the city of Poway where an antiques business would be allowed to function. So I'm not sure. I, I got to dig more on this to find out. But right off the top, that should be, the, that should be the, the thing we explore. It's regulations. Remember I talked about with Bloomberg, regulations are applied and they create these distortions and unlevel playing fields. They create all these unintended consequences. Um, well, in this particular case, this zoning law is preventing these thrift stores from finding affordable places where they can set up their business and, and continue servicing the community, their customers, their uh, parishioners. Um, so what Mayor Voss should be doing is just rather than say simply, oh, it would be a shame to lose them. I would hope he'd be saying we need to deregulate. We need to break down some of these zoning rules so you know, St. Bart's and there's about five or six other thrift stores in there so they can move to another shopping center. They can move into another building. Maybe they can share a building somewhere. Um, but it it is interesting how you get you dig down into this. And a lot of times it's 
the government, the leadership, the regulatory code that ends up screwing over everybody in this situation. And that's what we saw here. So um, I'm going to do a little more digging and see if I can learn more. I know Chris Cruz will be digging. I, that's that's her mission here in, in the city of Poway. And I appreciate her for doing that. I, I expect we're going to learn more and um, I'll be listening. And as I learn more, I'll share that with you and we'll find out. So what's going to happen to these thrift stores? So, you know, St. Bart's, which is one of the main ones. Um, another person I was talking to on Facebook who I've known for quite a while here in town, she's volunteered there. Her parents have volunteered there. I mean, they've been in town for 53 years. So in many cases, an institution. Um, but they're going to find out that um, they're going to expire. Their lease will be expiring in the early part of next year. So things are changing, and um, we'll find out where, they, where those folks land. Okay. Um, what else? Uh, social media. Hey, reach out to me there on Facebook, on Twitter. You know, I'm on Instagram sometimes. Um, join me there. Let's continue the conversation. Do you know I have a special um, invite-only closed Facebook group just for fans of this podcast? I have the regular John Riley Project Facebook page, but I also have this other one called the John Riley Project insiders group. You just have to answer a few questions and I let everybody in. So look for that on Facebook. We have like more in-depth conversations there with some of the the big fans of this podcast. So I invite you to join us there if you want to continue the conversation. Um, I want to also say, you know, if you can, one ways you can really help us build this podcast and, and sh- is if you can share this with others. And, and if you think we deserve it, you know, leave us a review. You know, you know, we're on iTunes, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Podcasts. A lot of our um, listeners enjoy listening to the audio only version. Um, in fact, we... Actually, it depends on the month. Some months we actually do better on the audio only and other months we do better on YouTube. But a lot of people enjoy listening to the audio only versions. You can leave a rating there, by the way. And if you're on iTunes, especially those ratings go a long way. So if you think we deserve it, leave a five star review. Um, If you're watching on YouTube, please subscribe. I'm trying to get up to our next major milestone. That'd be great. Um, And I want to just finish up episode 91 here with a couple of great quotes from who else? Michael Bloomberg. And I don't know when this one was actually said, but he quoted himself. I am not going to run for president. No way, no how. (laughs) And I know he's been he's been dabbling with this. He's been dancing around this issue off and on for a very long time. Maybe he's finally going to do it because he's, you know, by the way, you know, he's 77 years old. Um, And I I think did I mention that the early part of the podcast, Democrats don't normally. um. They don't normally elect old people to be president. They usually are electing people in their 40s and their 50s, like Obama, Clinton, Kennedy, even Carter. Um, will they elect a, a guy that's 77 years old? I don't know. I I, I have my doubts. Uh, but the other great quote that he said, and I won't say this is a great quote. I'm going to put this into a quote that should serve as a warning to all of us. I think there are certain times we should infringe on your freedom. Wow. So that's the nanny state. That's, that's the, um, uh, the billionaire busybody Michael Bloomberg. So, okay. Enough of this. This is episode 91 of the John Riley project. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. And we'll be back to you soon. See you later, folks. Bye-bye.